Hi, and welcome to the podcast channel, Podcast My Business at podcastmybusiness.com.au. And today we have Dr. Danny Davis with us, who is well known in the business circles for innovation and governance and IT cybersecurity. We've got him on for a very apt purpose, but we'll get to a few different things. Um, so if you want to find out more about the, we'll say, the Optus hack and how you can help be a volunteer and volunteer in different types of organizations, including Linked, um, oh, I've got to make sure I pronounce that correctly, Link Community and Transport, we've all seen the buses around, then stay tuned. Hey, Danny, how are you doing? Very good. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, look, can't complain. I mean, uh, are you in Sydney? No, in Melbourne. Melbourne. Okay, well, you're going to get the same thing. Apparently, today's the last day for good weather for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. So the rain is yeah. coming. Yeah, well, you guys are used to it in Melbourne. We don't tend to get this many seasons in one day. So, so, you, so you say. <laughs> yeah, see? Already got that in, get it out of the way, get it done. Uh, good. I was born there. So nice. It's born there. I, get, I, I can yeah, have a go. Well, I, I, I can sledge either side. Well, that's perfect. And talking about sledging, and uh, we'll get straight into it because it's apt. I don't like doing podcasts that deal with particular times, but when, podca- when um, COVID hit two and a bit years, two and a half years ago, I was initially not prepared to get into it because I thought oh, it'll pass and whatever, but you know what? Some things won't. And Optus and Optus being hacked is going to be a very, very big story for a very, very long time. And we were talking about governance and that the board should have been and would have been aware about the risks. That, that's right. Op- Optus will come and go and there will be disasters at other places. Um the issue really and the, the fundamental perennial issue here is that boards are not on top of it. Um, there are uh, risks in organisations that uh, these organisations, large organisations who are very well, well resourced, who have huge exposure to you know the way we live in Australia, um, are just not embracing. Uh, and, you know, governance is at the core of this. The board is ultimately accountable. Um, I've spoken directly, I guess um, I was fortunate through my PhD work to be able to engage with about 60 directors across the ASX 100, directors across all of the ASX 10, seven of them at chairman, um, and talking to them about the way they engage a whole range of different complexity issues, um, business growth, innovation, um, and indeed cybersecurity. Um, And this is just a real reminder, uh, in case anybody had forgotten, that boards just aren't engaged with the degree of complexity that's required to survive. So unless they find the method to engage with it fruitfully, they're going to continue not to, and they're going to continue to do a bad job. The Optus one has been a huge embarrassment in a national scale, but it hasn't actually take them, taken them down. Uh, I'm here to predict that Cybersecurity issues actually taking an organisation of that scale down is not out of the, the realm of possibility. It could take them off the mm. map. Yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, their reputation taken a massive hit. They'll all lose customers. Their expenses have just gone up. I don't know what their um, cyber insurance would be like. Um, 
<laughs> so I think mm. I think that's one of the. That's a really good point because you know insurance is a kind of a traditional thinking way of deal with cyber risk, um, and I'm not by any means advocating not having insurance, but it's not sufficient. Um, they actually need to have a credible way of sitting there and being able to have hand on heart go, yep, we're under control. Not that, you know, things won't happen. You know, you can control any, you can control a car, you can control a train or an aeroplane. Um, things will still happen. Uh, but by being in control, you can make sure that you're not falling out of the sky on a regular basis. Uh, the cybersecurity risks, um, the innovation disruption risks um, are just not being met on a on a competent basis at this stage. I mean, that's a bit of an accusation, but you know, I think it's true. I, I think boards, uh, from what I have seen firsthand um, and from the, the research that I've done as well, um, are generally just not engaged with the level of change and risk that is out there. And, and seeing it through a risk lens is, is really only one window and there are multiple windows they need to be engaged in it. They need to be able to credibly stand there, hand on heart, and say, we are sufficiently engaged in this. I've got a term that might amuse you, it's one that came out of, out of my research, which is the concept of future fiduciary. So we kind of understand fiduciary responsibility, and that's kind of the director's ultimate responsibility to make sure that the, you know, the assets of the organisation aren't leaking out, that you know, people aren't going home with wads of cash in their pocket and that kind of thing, and making sure all financing is under control and they know what they're doing. Great. Future fiduciary says, can a director assure, not just you know, finger in the wind and hope for the best, but actually assure that they are optimally invested in their own future? That all of the resource and efforts and actions of the organisation are actually optimally aligned towards creating value, to creating what is meaningful value, and that's not just financial value, it's non-financial value, including reputational, sustainability, environmental, ethical, um, community value, all these kind of things. So, you know, value is a complex uh, concept. Can they stand there and say, we are optimally invested in our own future with everything we're doing today. And there are few organisations who could honestly say yes to that question. Well, I think what's interesting is that the role of directors has changed. You know, you've got to be registered and have qualifications and what have you. But back in the day, and it wasn't that long ago, you would have directors that would just turn up once a quarter for the free lunch and the cucumber sandwiches. Yeah. And, um... Tony, I, I don't think this changed. You know, <laughs> you're saying That's it used to be. It, yeah. it, it, hasn't, it has not changed. Um, the uh, qualifications, as you say, first of all, they're not enforced. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's actually a path to an end. We're, we're actually looking for a capability uplift here that the various accreditations that are out there and even the various training courses um, don't engage. Um, it, it is actually a much higher level of, of competency and capability. Um, and as I said, there are few, if any, who are actually engaged with this appropriately. Now, what my research was into was into how do you measure who is and who isn't and does it make a difference? 
And what I actually found was a series of competencies uh, in governance, and I'll come back to say what that means because that's not just what happens. It's not just the training that happens at the board. It's, it's a whole lot more than that. It's organisational competence to engage with what I call governance of sustained value creation. And what I found was a way of measuring it and a way of saying that those people who do have the practices in place to engage the complexity that's involved in not just cybersecurity, which is kind of a downside risk, but digital disruption and, and, and global change and innovation, the people who can engage with that fulsomely make better decisions and massively outperform. The leading example in my research is 800% ahead of the ASX index sustained over a 10-year period. This is, this is not a fringe thing. It's a survival thing. Ah, there's a great word because as we discovered with COVID, yeah, things can change. And the traditional way of looking at disaster recovery was hacking and what have you. But even things like COVID, okay, hopefully we won't have another epidemic for another or pandemic for another 100 years, but we will have another one two or three or more in the next hundred years. We, we so, will have other shocks, whether they're a pandemic, yes. whether they're a war, whether they're yes. environmental, there are shocks ahead of us. So the, yes. the rate of change and the need to have, you know, this word sustainability is not just an environmental word. It's about ongoing sustained viability through shock. Um, yes. It's about being able to determine performance through change um, yeah, I mean, you can put this back to the, the old thing. You, you know, we used to write strategies that were, you know, a 10-year strategy and it was a five-year strategy and it was a three-year strategy and it was a one-year strategy with a rolling window. Now it's basically just an action list on the back of an envelope um, mm. and it doesn't cut it. Um, they don't, large organisations and the vast majority of them, and this is on the back of actual academic research, um, don't have the practices in place to deal sufficiently with the complexity of their organisation and their environment. That's mm. a bit scary, mm. but that's that's where we're at. So, you know, Optus is no surprise whatsoever. Mm. It's not the only one yeah. in the wings. Well, exactly. it, They're just unlikely. Well, that's right. If not them, it would have been somebody Someone else. And it and will be. Whoever the next one is, and it'll keep happening forever. Um, but I guess also the concept of wargaming, I don't think these companies... Do anything like that. They're all siloed. So you're the director. That, so we've got the director that deals with cybersecurity tick. We've got the director that deals with financial viability tick. We've got the director that deals with the auditors tick. And it's all a, a tick box exercise. Yeah, yeah. So you've hit on something really important there. Um, and it's it's not the wargaming, although, you know, wargaming is fine and I think it is a really important part of risk management. Again, risk is looking at the downside. It's actually that the, the point you, you hit on there is they're working in silos and you really need an integrated pattern, an integrated set of disciplines that bring together not just the activity and the, the downside risk, but the upside activity. Where are we? How are each of us contributing? How does each of us see future potential? And again, ultimately... Uh, the the people who are using the best practices in this place, in this kind of area, 
can talk about the level of certainty that the organisation has in achieving its future outcomes. Most organisations can't have that discussion and are operating on very low levels of certainty where they really don't believe it even when they say it. Um, but it shouldn't be a matter of belief. You know, They don't believe it because history has proven that it doesn't work. But it should not be belief. It should be fact. It should be measurement. It should be a consistent and continuously improved version of measurement. And I know there'll be people out there going, oh, yeah, it's all too. there are people doing it today. It exists, mm. it can be done, and it works really well. Mm. Well, a step from the um, for-profit sector, I know traditionally we say not-for-profit, but I'm going to say for-purpose sector. Beautiful. But, Love it. Yeah, because not-for-profit is a misnomer. If you're not making money to cover your costs and doing things, then, yep. you know... I just say for purpose. So you step in as ND of Link Community and uh, Transport. I've got that right. Yep. No. That's, yep. that's community, and transport. community and transport. Right. Okay. So, yeah, so that's, go ahead. That's that's uh, definitely in the for, for purpose space. Um, and look, that from what. Um, I've seen, and again, from the, the research and where I've come from, these are all on the same sphere. If ultimately you're looking at multi-bottom line, you're looking at financial and non-financial value, um, it's really up to any organisation to determine what value is for them. Now, there might be some organisation that says, you know, we're, we're, we're money only and we don't give a rats about the rest and that yeah, you could debate. You need to debate. It's actually the leaders and the board who need to de debate what is value. And they should have a discussion about social value and where they fit and different answers for different people. If you're in the community sector, you still need to worry about the financial. Of course you should be more worried about the, about the full purpose because ultimately you can say, you know, our reason to exist is to achieve this purposeful outcome. Money is purely a means to an end. We need to assure viability, etc. But if we're achieving viability and achieving nothing, we should just hand the reins to someone else and get the hell out of there. Um, so, yeah, look, it's 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 been a. I guess it's been the beginning of the pandemic. I, I read the room in terms of people's ability to uh, really get into some meaningful discussions in this space, and decided I'd do something useful um, while while people were panicking and running around. Um, screaming about the fire um yeah. so you know it's been it's been a good chance to kind of refresh the the on the ground skills um mm. but there is a real alignment between what is happening in the commercial world in these large organizations um what's happening at the forefront of uh f the accounting world so there's things like the value reporting foundation um, which it brings together integrated reporting and SASB and, and, and a whole lot of those others for anybody who's a, uh, a measurement nerd out there. Uh, there's there's a huge global movements in this. And it's all about trying to, again, engage with these multi-bottom line outcomes in a measurement phase. Um, the leading edge of that work, the work in global audit practice, et cetera, is all trying to move to this future mode multi-bottom line future again this is the governance of value creation thing it's equal in corporate it's equal in community sector um and it's about to get a big lift in government so federal government's about to put out a wellness budget the first australian wellness budget following on from new zealand and a couple of other jurisdictions 
Um, as I have said a few times, it has every opportunity to be a massive greenwashing exercise. That is still a potential. It's really up to them. But done well, it actually brings a whole lot of social outcome measures that governments, different governments have been working on. Unfortunately, each state and federal government has been working on a different set, but go figure. Um, bring those into the budget and actually bring... Uh, the federal budget is really a self-contained item looking at financial impacts from financial expenditures and the long-term financial uh, uh, flow of what will happen from today's decisions. Hopefully it brings in, does any of that make a difference? Do any of our financial measures, do any of our financial actions, do any of our investments actually create a better future? That's where a wellness budget, well-being budget should go. It should actually measure things that matter to people's lives and people's futures and determine, according to my future fiduciary, are we optimally invested in our own future? That same mantra, that same approach, and interestingly, the same deep mechanics of how you actually do this in practice apply in the government sense, in the community sector sense, in a corporate sense, and interestingly, in a complete sector and an economy-wide sense. So there is a, a, a real method there for providing accounting and audit discipline using, you know, the leading edge of best, best practice in those disciplines applied to the wellbeing budget, applied to is the Australian society putting its time, effort and alignment towards a better future? Um, or we'll get greenwashing. Well... I actually thought you were cracking a joke when you said government discipline. I thought, wow. <laughs> Naughty. Um, no, but, it, it, you know, it's, it's they're interesting. Look, every organisation has its own unique culture, its own unique personality, and government personality types fit within a particular span of, of, of um, personalities. They mean well. They want to do the right thing. They... You know, their fundamental problem is silos, just as you picked up before. It's the same problem. Um, they put it in different language because it's about departments and it's about jurisdictions, etc. It's silos. Um, they have no capacity to reach across silos and cooperate uh, between different departments or different levels of government um, yeah. without... And, and, you know, he's a real case in point for the corporates as well. In order to cross the silos, you have to go to the top of the tree which all of a sudden means the Premier or the Prime Minister is responsible for the most trivial piece of co cooperation across different departments. And it's that same type of issue. It's, it's actually clearer and more easily observable in government than it is in the corporate, but it's exactly the same thing. And the mm -hmm. mechanisms, your, your, your integrated approaches to this, your, your governance value creation on an integrated basis, um, are about providing the metrics where people can cooperate from within their domain and within their rules, but determine whether cross-silo cooperation is good in terms of what the leaders have determined is value. Mm. Hoping I'm not getting too atmospheric there. I'm trying to keep that's it down. That's quite to all right. No, no, that's quite all right. Look, I, I've got to. Okay, so we're going to run out of time. So what I'd like to suggest is that we didn't get into Link very much, and the community sector and the for purpose sector very much. So what I'd like to do is, if we catch up again after the budget, 
I'd love to get your thoughts on how that's gone with the community sector. And you were talking how it's going to be a good, what was the term you used? Not touchy-feely. It was... Whether it's greenwashing or whether it's real. Um, mm. and look, yeah. chances are being, being government and the complexity that we've got there, it'll be a bit of both. Um, yeah. Really, yeah. It's, it's all in the follow-through. It's what people do with it. Um, I'm, hoping it I'm hoping it activates thinking in this space. Um, both in government and 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 in community sector and corporate, um, but it may just wash over us. It depends what comes next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, right, and so... the future future belongs to those who embrace it. Um, you know, the, the the challenge that I put out there is I've got very clear research that says massive out for performance for people who embrace complexity with discipline. Um, and um, you know, anybody who wants to give it a go, they can. Mm. And if they want to just let it die, they will. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, change is certain. So um, it's one thing you can rely on. All right. No, I have to look. Okay, well, we'll have a chat. So it's lct.org.au uh, if people want to find out more about link community and transport. And we'll, we'll cover that off a little bit more. Yeah, link, um, link if, if you've got 30 seconds on that. Um, you know, we, we were a tired old not-for-profit like all of the others um, and decided during the pandemic, had a bit of a look at ourselves and went, you know, what are we here for? You know, why yeah. are we here at all? Yeah, we're here for yeah. a purpose. Um, we're basically bringing disruption to the care sector. Um, we're not doing that with a big stick. We're not doing it with the kind of, you know, startup rapacious money-oriented approach. We're just saying change is needed. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And using uh, my skills in innovation... Um, and, and, and leadership and engagement and a bunch of other things to, to make that actually happen on the ground. Um, so far, so good. It's working well, and we're getting uh, a pretty warm embrace from people who are saying, oh, about time somebody's doing something about this. <laughs> All right, well, well, okay, I've thought of something. So talking about innovation and um, the for-purpose sector always looks at new ways of raising revenue so they can do more things. So I thought of, well, okay, I'm going to put a challenge out to you. Okay. Have you thought of doing a delivery service like Uber as part of your offerings and use that as also a way of maybe making some revenue? Um, yeah, look, it's, it's not the approach we're taking. Um, yeah. In a disruptive approach, we're not so much looking at just starting off spin-off businesses, um, and there'd, oh. there'd be plenty of opportunities there. Um, with a for-purpose mindset, you look at the business opportunity and say, yes, we want it to produce a financial return because money is good. That's mm. great. Mm. Is it changing the way the sector behaves? So we're looking at services that, yes, provide us financial benefit in some way, um, which could be greater efficiency or it could be greater income. But we're looking at ones that actually change behaviours. So we're looking at ones that actually activate care in community if we can support carers if we can make um, older and vulnerable people more independent more able to do their own thing then that is a perfect example of something that has that multi-bottom line halo rather than looking something just because it generates cash so it's a really good – thank you for the tie-in. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, back to that better decision-making based on being able to look at decisions in the context of financial and non-financial purposeful 
value. So we're choosing actions that are going to create behaviour changes way beyond our own organisation and par for par on, on uh, financial return um, or even with slightly less good financial return, we're getting, so long as we've got balance for viability and we're moving forward, etc. we should choose the ones that have the greatest impact, um, both because that's our purpose to exist and it's why we're here and it's where our effort should be going. You know, are we optimally invested in our own future? Are we doing the things that make the biggest difference for us? Um, but it has that really positive halo effect that if you're doing right things and you're actually making a difference, you attract people to you and that creates the next contract and the next partner and the next opportunity and the next delivery. So, um, you know, these things have a way of um, echoing and, and, and building and supporting. You know, it's, it's what we're doing within Link on a, on a smaller scale. Um, it's just an example of for-profit decision-making, um, you know, exactly in the mode that you've, you've kind of raised there. Um, but, it, you know, it's like accounting. It applies everywhere. Cool. All right. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there for now, but we'll definitely catch up again after the budget and see what the response is to that. And Great. Um, all right, Norris, thank you very much for your time. Great to chat. Talk again.